I would ask that you uh, continue to pray for me as I um, attempt to share with you this morning. The, the text that I am looking at this morning is Romans chapter 12 and the uh, first 13 verses. And I, I will turn to that and read that at this particular time. Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 1 all the way through verse 13. I beseech you, brethren, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly ac acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the portion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. <clears throat> or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Adhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, faithful, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. The... Uh, Three weeks ago, I uh, attempted to give an exposition of the first two verses here uh, in Romans chapter 12, and uh, I, I did so in, in view of the admonition that is given in verse 2 about the renewing of the mind, the fact that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And this morning, I... Uh, I'll be especially looking at the, uh, the first five verses as it relates to what Paul tells us about the exercising of our spiritual gifts. Recently, uh, Austin in the Sunday School devotional uh, did uh, a bit of, uh, uh, spoke to us uh, a bit of concerning spiritual gift. I consider what he shared and, and a good introduction to the, the whole matter of spiritual gifts. And so uh, that is sort of where I'm going uh, this morning uh, as I speak to you here from this portion of scripture. Uh, I find it interesting that there is no reference made concerning the church, the body of Christ, in the first 11 uh, chapters of the book of Romans. Now, certainly, Romans 9, 10, 11 is instructive for us as a church. Uh, what happened to Israel 
can happen to the church uh, if we assume on our relationship with God and don't guard against apostasy. Uh, but it's not until the practical section here in the book of Romans that Paul begins to address the church as such, and he doesn't even use the word church, or the, which is the Greek word is ecclesia, uh, but he uses that only once in chapter 16 and verse 5. But uh, it, you can see as you begin reading through the, uh, the, the practical section of the uh, book of Romans, that Paul alludes to the church as a body, uh, and he does so for the first time here in chapter 12, and then only indirectly. But when you stop to think of it, the whole practical section of Romans is taken up with Paul directly or indirectly addressing issues related to the, the church. Uh, the first two verses of Romans 12 has to do with the church's relationship with the world. You notice that Paul uses the, for, the plural form brethren here. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Uh, and so he's uh, alluding to the uh, church's relationship with the world. And then in verses 3 through 8, uh, Paul speaks of the individual Christian finding his place in the body of Christ. And uh, then in chapter 12, beginning at verse uh, 9, all the way through chapter 13, uh, Paul addresses the, uh, uh, the, the Christian's inner, uh, uh, the, the Christian's relationship with those who are outside of the church, and, uh, and especially with uh, the Christian, the church's relationship with, uh, with government. Uh, and then uh, Paul uh, also addresses the uh, interpersonal relationships and conflicts that can take place in the body of Christ in chapter 14 and the first part of chapter 16. Well, I've entitled uh, this message this morning, Finding and Filling Your Place in the Body of Christ. Uh, it, uh, it is obvious from the title of this lesson that I assume several things to be true. Uh, and and, and let, me, let me mention two of them. First of all, that as a result of having our lives transformed by the power of the gospel and being made right with God, that we become uh, a, an integral and a, a vital part of the church, the body of Christ. That is assumed here. Uh, and I, I, I trust that you assume that as well. I find it interesting that nowhere in the book of Acts do the apostles uh, exhort or admonish new believers to join church. It simply says, says, tells us that as many as believed were added to the church. Uh, and they were, they were not added to an invisible church, but they were added to the visible church that existed in a particular location, for instance, in, in the city of Jerusalem, uh, first of all. 
And so it, it seems to me that we must see that there is no dichotomy. There is no dichotomy uh, between baptism, uh, becoming a believer, and church, me uh, church membership or being part of a, a, a vital part of a, a local church. Uh, the New Testament doesn't seem to know anything of an, of an individual believer not connected to or not committed to a visible body of believers. Uh, and, and, um, and, and the reason that is true is because the, the church is, is recognized in, in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament not to be an, an organization, but an organism. If it is an organization, then you can, you can join it and you can withdraw your membership and, and, it, and, 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 uh, and do whatever you wish. But if it is an organism, then, then when you cut yourself off of the body, uh, in using the, the, uh, the, the uh, metaphor of the church as a body, a physical body, then if, if, you, if you remove this hand from the body, what happens? Does the hand continue to live? Well, think of the metaphor, think of the implication of all of that, and, and that is why I, it seems to me that, uh, that Paul seems to assume that, uh, that the, uh, the, 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 the believers in the city of Rome were, were members of, uh, of the church uh, that existed there in the city of Rome. Not just technical members, but active, viable members of the body of Christ and lived in, in the reality of that. Well, it also assumes, this, this passage here this morning also assumes, because in, in the central part of the passage that I read to you this morning in Romans chapter 12, it has to do with, our, with the exercise of our spiritual gifts our involvement with each other in the body of Christ. And so it, it is assumed that the members of the local church were never meant to be merely bench warmers, but they were meant to be actively engaged in the lives of each other and in the life of the church. Every member was intended to be actively involved in the body of Christ saying the same thing in a different way, every member in the body of Christ had an office to fill. Here I'm pulling us back to Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, and I sort of pull my, the title of my message uh, out of verses 4 and 5. And the title of my message is Finding and Filling Your Place in the Body of Christ in the Local Church. And verse 4 says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. Now, I highlight the word office here. 
says in verse 4, for as we having many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, but every member, the assumption here is that every member has an office. Now, the word office here is not used as we normally use the word office. We refer to the word office to talk of a, to often speak of a position that, that you hold in, in an organization. But here the word office is not, it's, it's a different word. Uh, and, and so it's, it's speaking more, not so much of a position you hold, but a function that you you uh, uh, perform or a function that you're engaged in in the body of Christ. So every member has, 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 has a function. And so there are un no unnecessary parts in the, in the body of Christ, just as there are no unnecessary parts in the human body. But every part, the hand, the, the arm, the ear, the nose, the eye, each have a, has a particular function. And, and so uh, instead of using the word function, I use the word place. And this is a good word for the meaning of the word office as it is used here in, uh, in this passage. And so therefore, I have entitled my message, Finding and Filling Your Place, Your Function in the Body of Christ. And so, uh, um, as you consider that, um, uh, uh, just also we need to see <clears throat> that the, the, one of the central ideas in verses 1 through 13 has to do with the importance of each member of the local body finding and filling his place uh, in the church that he is an organic member of. And, then, and so um, uh, I, I'm, I'm seeing that the, the, the central part of this passage in verses 1 through 13 are verses 6 through 8. And that has to do with the functions, what, is called, what he calls the gifts, what we refer to as the, the spiritual gifts that, uh, that, every, that every member has. Uh, a gift that each member has, and the exercise of those spiritual gifts one to another. So I'm approaching this passage in that kind of way. Uh, I, I hope you, you sort of know where I'm going with this. And so uh, uh, in finding and filling our place in the body of Christ. And so I see here that the, the first five verses of Romans chapter 12 uh, give us four prerequisites that are important in exercising our function, in exercising our spiritual gifts. And, and so that's where I'm coming from here this morning as, um, as uh, I'm looking, uh, seeking to give interpretation and exposition to this particular passage. Uh, and so the first thing I'd like to do then is, is look at the, the four prerequisites that I find um, in the first five verses that are important to exercising your spiritual gift. Um, and, and they're important to the, to, to the 
the proper exercise of our spiritual gift. So uh, the, the, um, the four prerequisites uh, to effectively serving God, you, you can look at this in different ways, but uh, the, the first prerequisite that I find uh, is in, in verse 1. Uh, I'm not going to go back and give exposition to verse 1 again. It's a call to full and total consecration to God. But the first prerequisite, as I see it in verse 1, is, uh, is that each one of us are fully and totally available to God. And that's a challenge for all, for all of us. What does it mean to be fully and totally available to God? It flows out of our full and total consecration to God. But someone cannot be fully and totally consecrated to God without also being fully available to God. And so I see the first prerequisite here as being totally available to God. So when we present our body to God as a living sacrifice, we are, in essence, the dedicating and, uh, and consecrating our, ourselves to God in a practical way. Anything that is consecrated to God is holy. Paul affirms that in verse 1. By presenting ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, we are holy and acceptable unto God. To be holy means to be clean and free from sin and, and, and uh, uncleanness. But to be holy also means to be set apart unto God, to be set apart uniquely to, for God's use. And so, uh, as I see it, the, the first uh, prerequisite that we have here for uh, our exercising our place, finding and filling our place in the body of Christ is, is to be fully and totally available to God. Uh, there is something compelling about a life that is totally available to God. Uh, the Bible tells us about, talks to us uh, and gives examples throughout the Old and the New Testament of, uh, of people who were totally, absolutely available to God. And it's, it's, it's usually astonishing to me how, how God can use a person to be totally, that is fully and totally available to God. You know, take Isaiah, for instance. <laughs> you know, when Isaiah had that vision of, the, of God and the holiness of God in Isaiah chapter 6, what, when, when, his, uh, his, when, he, when he was cleansed, when his tongue was cleansed and touched by a live coal off the altar, what did, what did uh, Isaiah say? He said, he heard the voice, uh, who will go and who will be useful for me? And, and Isaiah said, here am I, sent me. And he was saying, here I am, I'm totally available to God. My question to you this morning is, are you available to God? Are you totally available to God? What would happen if you would become totally available to God? Um, and then there was, um, there was Esther in, in the... Um, in, in the Old Testament, um, Esther chapter 4, she put her life, she put her life on the line in order to save her people. Is that, uh, um, 
And so she, she was totally available to God. Then you have Paul in, in Acts chapter 9. You know, uh, I've said this before, but it bears repeating. That is that Paul asked two questions when he met the Lord. He said, who are you? And secondly, he said, what do you want me to do? <laughs> and as someone has said, these became the two quests of Paul's life. So he went throughout the rest of his life uh, uh, asking, Lord, who are you? <laughs> I want to know you. Uh, and, and he went throughout his life saying, what do you want me to do? <laughs> and at every turn of the road, <laughs> Paul was fully and totally available to God as he stormed across the Roman Empire with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Worsby says, a consecration leads to concentration, which means a focused life. In other words, like Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, this one thing I do... <laughs> Uh, concentration, a focused life is what, what, what God asks us to, to live. Uh, and and he, Worsby goes on to say, he says, consecration leads to concentration, and concentration leads to power, the power to effectively use him. And uh, uh, I, I'm so grateful that God makes his power available to even the least of us. You know, God has never used a man that was not available to him. Uh, someone said that the greatest ability we can have is our availability. And I, I really believe that. So I'm saying all that to say that the first prerequisite to exercising and using your in, in your your a uh, spiritual gift and filling and finding and filling your place is being fully and totally available to God. Challenge you with that. This is a challenge to me. The second thing that is, the, the second prerequisite that is important in the exercise of your, your spiritual gift, in the finding and filling your place in the body of Christ, is a renewed mind. <laughs> And I, I, I spoke on that extensively three weeks ago, and I'm not going to repeat that, uh, but only to, to say that verse 2 reminds us that the key to the problem of being conformed to this world is to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. But in, in the larger context of this passage, we can see that the renewed mind is important it's an important prerequisite to, uh, to uh, filling, finding and filling our place in the body of Christ. You know, um, an unrenewed mind is characterized in Scripture in three ways. It refers to it as a corrupt mind, a carnal mind, and a fleshly mind in various places uh, in, in the New Testament. See, an unrenewed mind is obviously not in tune with God, but is in tune with the flesh, our sinful propensity. It is also in tune with the fallen culture we live in and with the prince of the power of the air, 
according to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2. But in contrast to an unrenewed mind, a carnal mind, a fleshly mind, is, uh, is, is having a spiritual mind, Romans chapter 8, verse 6. A willing mind, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 12. A sound mind, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. A pure mind, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. So it's obvious that a renewed mind is imperative in finding and filling your place in the body of Christ. <laughs> it is certainly counterproductive to attempt to exercise one's spiritual gift, having an unrenewed mind. First uh, Corinthians chapter 3, Paul indicates that the outworking of being carnal is that it causes envying, strife, and divisions. Um, but a renewed mind will, uh, will, will work for the, will, will serve, we will serve each other for the glory of God and for the, the betterment of the church. So the first uh, prerequisite to finding and filling our place in the body of Christ is to be totally available to God. The second prerequisite is to have a renewed mind. The third prerequisite, as I see it here, is to have a proper self-concept, a proper concept of ourselves. Uh, that's verse 3, when he says, For I say through the grace given to me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Uh, a proper self-concept here. Uh, Paul is talking about that here in verse 3. Um, note three things about this matter of having a proper self-concept. First of all, he says not to think more highly than you ought to think. You know, to think more highly is one word in Greek. It's a big word. Uh, I won't even try to pronounce it. It means to esteem, uh, to esteem oneself over much. To, to be arrogant. Um, the implication in verse 3 is that every man has a tendency. We all have the tendency to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And, and we constantly have to work against that tendency. Um, you know, because of the virus of sin, we have a natural bent, a natural bias toward, uh, toward pride and, and self-exaltation. <laughs> um, Someone has said to, to himself, every man is the most important person in the world. Um, and it was T.S. Eliot who said that most of the trouble in the world is caused by people who want to be important. And Paul here is, is telling us to, to battle against that, to do battle against that. Twice in Isaiah chapter 46, Isaiah prophesies against those who say, I am, and there is no one beside me. 
I'm the most important person in the world. Well, Matthew Henry said, those who do not know themselves best who think best of themselves. So that's a bit of a, a tongue twister, but think it through. Uh, and he goes on to say, humility does not mean to think less of ourselves, but to think of ourselves less. <laughs> not to be preoccupied with myself and how I come across. Uh, Philippians uh, Philippians 2, verse 3 tells us, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. That, folks, I, I don't know how, how easy you find uh, doing that, um, you know, uh, esteeming others better than yourselves. But that, that's what he's, he's exhorting us to do here in Philippians 2, 3. Well, you know, when we present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, that hidden agenda that is, that is natural to every one of us toward desiring to be important needs to die uh, if we want to properly fill our place in the body of Christ um, and serve God effectively. Well, the second thing uh, about this matter of self-concept is, is to think soberly. So the next thing he says to, is to think soberly. Well, this means we need to think rightly of ourselves, to have a proper self-concept as, as I stated it. Um, this does not mean that we should think of ourselves in a depreciating kind of way. That's not what Paul is uh, telling us here at all. But to think of us, not to, we don't, we don't have to think. We're not ex exhorted to think of ourselves as being a worm in the dust, worthless and, and, and you know, uh, and that kind of thing. But to sober, to think soberly means to think clearly, to see things as they really are. And that's difficult when it comes to uh, understanding and, and seeing ourselves. Uh, this calls us to, to have an accurate assessment of ourselves. And I realize how difficult that is because we live so close to ourselves. I, I realize, I recognize how difficult that means. But that, that does mean that we must have an awareness of ourselves. Um, so, uh, you know, to think of ourselves in an appreciating way is often an attempt at false humility or maybe a result of having been deeply wounded sometime in our lives. So, uh, but again, true humility is not so much a matter of self-depreciation. I'm, I'm just a worthless individual, not that. Uh, but, but true humility um, is... Uh, is, is seeing ourselves in the light of our relationship with God. Um, and, and not see ourselves in comparison with, with others, but see ourselves uh, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. And that, you know, it means, to me that means to just see ourselves as God sees us. Um, well, and so the, uh, 
And so that is the third aspect of this admonition to have a proper self-concept, is to see ourselves according as God has dealt to every man the measure, measure of faith. Um, you know, genuine faith in God doesn't produce pride. It does produce humility. Because when we receive something by faith, it is of necessity by grace. Paul said that in Romans chapter 4 and verse 16. So um, Paul asked the penetrating question in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you haven't received? When you think about your life, <laughs> is there anything that <laughs> you deserved? Um, we, we've... You know, what we have, what we have received, we have received it by faith. And, uh, and uh, it's, uh, uh, we, we, it's a gift to us. Um, and so, again, what all this seems to boil down to is that we should see ourselves in the light of our relationship with God and not see ourselves in comparison to others. William Schuller, in his delightful little book on the Book of Romans, um, says that um, says that the measure of faith refers to God's provision to fulfill specific a specific calling and again think place and function within the church uh, and so the the big challenge for me is constantly is to see myself as God sees me and uh, live in the reality and work and minister and serve others in the reality of that. So uh, may that be a challenge to each one of us. Well, the, the, so the fourth prerequisite I, I find in verses 4 and 5, which is where I lift out the title for my message. It means to, be, to have a willingness to fit in with other members of the body of Christ. Um, Lee Camp, in, in his book on mere discipleship, writes, One important aspect of the body metaphor for the church is that life in Christ is a corporate endeavor, not an, and, uh, an individual pursuit. Um, you see, um, one stone does not a temple make. And though in First in, in Peter chapter two, and, and I, I believe it's, uh, it's in verse five, it says that we as living stones are built up to make a spiritual temple. Uh, and uh, but, but it's stones, plural, that make a temple, not one stone. One stone does not a, a temple make. Um, we are, we are it's, it's, it's something that, that we're together in. Um, we're fellow citizens with the saints in the household of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. The church is like a building fitly framed together. And when you see a building like this, even the inside of this building, fitly framed together with, you know, the carpet, the, uh, uh, the, the molding, the whatever, the ceiling, you know, when it's fitly framed together, one piece does not necessarily stand out uh, in a large way. You, you see it as a whole. And, and it's and because it's fitly framed together. And so God wants us to be fitly framed together in the body of Christ. Uh, one stone does not a temple make. Uh, we are to be built together for the habitation of God through the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 22. Yes, a willingness to fit in with other members of the body 
To be fitly framed together is an important prerequisite to finding and filling our place in the body of Christ. Now, just to make sure that you are good students this morning and uh, can remember the four prerequisites, uh, can we recall them together? The first prerequisite is what? To be what? Fully and totally available to God. The second prerequisite is what? A renewed mind. The third prerequisite is? Proper concept of ourselves. And the fourth prerequisite, of course, is to be willing to be fitly framed together. The willing to fit in with other members of the body of Christ. And that, again, verse 4 and 5, for we as many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. That's a, that's a powerful truth. Now, I've taken most of my, um, all of my time, <laughs> um, just giving you the four prerequisites. But those four prerequisites, uh, really, uh, they, 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 they lead us into this whole matter of the exercise of our spiritual gifts. And uh, there, there's so much I'd like to, I wish I could take time to, to talk about this matter of the spiritual gifts and, and, and uh, how we find them and how we use them and, and, uh, uh, and, and all of that kind of thing. But um, my, my time is up. Uh, just just see, it, see what I've shared this morning in the context of verses 6 through 8, the exercise of our spiritual gifts. And then verses 9 through 13, so in, in the first five verses, you have the four prerequisites. Then you have the, the, the filling our place with our spiritual giftings in, in verses 6 through 8. And then in verses uh, um, uh, 9 through 13, he, he speaks of the, of the, of the uh, spiritual... Um, Characters, the, the, the spiritual characteristics that are important to, to the use of our spiritual gifts. Because if we tend to exercise our spiritual giftings outside of the, the characteristics of love and, uh, and all that he talks about in verses uh, 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 9 through 13, then, then we tend to have schisms rather than a unity of the spirit. And so uh, these uh, characteristics that he talks about in verses 9 through 13 are so important in, the, in, the, in us finding and uh, filling our place in the body of Christ.